I'm Heidi Harris. This is the Heidi Harris Show podcast. I do these a couple of times a week. You can also catch me live Sunday nights at 97.1 FM Talk in St. Louis. My show airs 7 to 9 p.m. in St. Louis. Had a chance to speak with Dr. Kelly Victory. She's been a physician for 30 years. She's board certified in trauma and emergency medicine. Uh, she's been a CMO of medical companies. I mean, she's got a resume as long as my arm. She's always kind enough to join me with facts, not fear, because she's been blocked from a lot of social media because she actually speaks truth about the vaccines. The sound may be a little different because this audio is from the video that I did with her. So take it for what it's worth. Just deal with it. Dr. Kelly Victory, thanks for always making time for my audience. I do appreciate it. Friend of mine's husband passed away last night from the vaccine. He was COVID recovered. Then they suggested he get the vaccine at the VA, got the vaccine, spent four months in the hospital, various problems, passed away as a result of the vaccine. And what makes me crazy is the medical community does not want anybody to know their problems with this vaccine. No, there's no question, Heidi. And again, I, I would be remiss if we uh, didn't get on the record that I am not anti-vax or anything of the sort. In fact, I'm extraordinarily pro-vaccine in general. I've gotten every vaccine known to mankind, plus some, uh, because of the areas of the world I've traveled to. I've had things like yellow fever vaccines and dengue vaccines, you know, vaccines that most Americans at least wouldn't have had. The issue is with these particular vaccines, um, the fact that they have not been adequately tested, that they are using technology uh, that has never been successful or safe in the past, that we are continuing to promote the idea that people who are COVID recovered should for some inexplicable reason go out and take the risk of these vaccines. It goes on and on and on. And as you said, the amount of uh, of really corruption and dishonesty surrounding these vaccinations, I think is quite frightening. I told you this before we went on the air, but a friend of mine who's a paramedic here in Vegas, and he was telling me a story. Of course, they transport people with vaccine problems all the time. But he was telling me a story about a 24-year-old woman who went to the hospital, had to be transported with cardiac problems because she had the vaccine. And normally a paramedic would tell the doctor whatever he or she knows about the situation with the patient, right? So the paramedic told the doctor, well, you know, she recently had the vaccine. And the doctor said to him, let's keep this on the down low. We don't want the media to find out. Oh, how yeah. awful. Uh, and, and this is the problem. Again, um, we need to have the debate about these things, Heidi. We need to have the discussion. People need to be able to access all of the information. Again, I respect anyone's decision to go out and get vaccinated. That's right. Only you know what your particular health risks are, what your health profile is, and what your risk tolerance is. So every individual should be undergoing a really thoughtful, informed risk-benefit calculation, not just for these vaccines, but for every medical decision you make. I don't care if it's an antibiotic you're going to take, chemotherapy you might undergo, a surgical procedure, whatever it is. But when we don't allow people to have access to the real information, what are the real risks from this vaccine? What are we seeing in terms of complications, adverse events? Who's most likely to have an adverse event? And if we don't provide that information to people, along with a realistic assessment of their own risk, let's face it, 
not everyone is at equivalent risk from this virus. And we've known that from the very beginning. Yet public health officials from Anthony Fauci on down have behaved as if we are all at equivalent risk, as if a healthy 30-year-old or a healthy 50-year-old or, God forbid, a healthy person under the age of 18 is at the same risk as a 75-year-old obese person with diabetes. And so you can't run that risk-benefit calculation if you don't understand what your real risk is from the virus and weigh that against the potential risks from these vaccines. And if we have doctors uh, and public health officials sanitizing the information, not allowing people to know that a 24-year-old went into cardiac arrest following vaccination, that's really dishonest. Yeah, it's dishonest. And, and frankly, it's just evil. I, I mean, mm -hmm. I, it's unbelievable that a doctor would do that. It's frightening. Let's talk a little bit about horse medicine. You have horses, doctor. You understand what they're calling horse medicine, which is ivermectin. Unbelievable. Well, the medicine you're talking about is ivermectin. It is one of the medications that has been uh, proven to be highly, highly effective against COVID-19, particularly when used early on. It's also very helpful as prophylaxis. Uh, ivermectin is a drug, Heidi, that has been FDA approved for use in humans for many, many decades. It happens to be used in the veterinary world as well, primarily as a dewormer. I give it to my horses on an annual basis. We use it in dogs and in cattle, primarily as an anti-parasite or an anti-worm uh, medication. But it's used uh, by hundreds of millions of people, human beings around the globe on an annual basis. It treats everything from lice to scabies to various intestinal worms. We don't use it quite as much in this country, in the U.S., because worms are not endemic. But in places right. uh, like uh, sub-Saharan Africa, India, other parts of the world, uh, people take it very, very regularly. How exactly does ivermectin help people who have covid because I know I had some real abdominal problems. I'm not talking about uh, diarrhea, but just like I felt like I had been disemboweled. And maybe that was something ivermectin could have helped. I don't know. Explain how ivermectin can help COVID patients. A, a couple different ways. It has some very powerful antiviral properties in and of itself. In other words, it can actually kill off the virus by itself. It's also a very good anti-inflammatory, has anti-inflammatory properties. And you probably are aware that many of the problems people get into with COVID is related to inflammation, setting mm -hmm. off that cytokine storm. So frequently people end up on steroids or other medications to control the inflammation. Well, turns out ivermectin does a good job at that as well. So we have this entire cocktail of medications, including ivermectin and steroids, hydroxychloroquine, uh, azithromycin, doxycycline, all of these medications, all of which are FDA approved and have been for decades, all very, very safe by themselves, inexpensive, incidentally, uh, as well. But for uh, reasons that you can, you know, you have to surmise uh, the powers that be will not allow us to even have that discussion. So the most recent, my most recent uh, time out on Twitter, I'm currently in the penalty box um, <laughs> because I posted a tweet that a very factual tweet. I said, 
ivermectin has been FDA approved for use in humans for decades. Full stop. That's a hard cold fact. And you, it is, you cannot dispute that fact. Right. Yet the quote fact checkers, the nameless, faceless um, group of fact checkers from Twitter uh, decided that that was quote misinformation. Uh, how you could even say that is is preposterous, but there is no appeal process with Twitter. So that was deemed to be spreading misinformation that ivermectin is FDA approved for use in humans. And so I was, uh, you know, kicked off Twitter for a week. Um, interestingly, you know, I was actually responding to what I considered a very, very dishonest headline of an article put out by the FDA um, over the weekend that said, come on, y'all, the, the headline, come on, y'all, you're not a horse and you're not a cow. Wow. Stop taking ivermectin. Implying the implication of that headline is that ivermectin is only a veterinary medication, which simply isn't true. It's crazy. Now, I will also go on the record by saying I have always been extraordinarily outspoken about the idea that people really should not take the veterinary preparation, meaning just because ivermectin works to treat COVID doesn't mean I think you should go to your local farm and feed, pick up a you know, <laughs> tube full of you know, right. ivermectin intended for horses. And here's why. The medication, the active ingredient, ivermectin, is identical for people and for horses. The problem is that the animal, the veterinary preparations are commonly mixed with what we call adjuvants, the inactive ingredients. And sometimes those inactive ingredients can be toxic to humans. So in order to make it into a paste to give to my 1500 pound horse, that the, the inactive ingredients may not be intended for humans. So I never recommend that people take something that is labeled for veterinary use only, not because the active ingredient is different, but because of the inactive ingredients and how it's prepared. Well, that makes perfect sense, which is why the media folks don't understand it. Talk about antibody-dependent enhancement. We heard about this ADE syndrome. And is that similar to a cytokine storm? Remember, I flunked biology. So I'm just curious, doctor. No, 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 no. Those are very okay. different. A uh, cytokine right. storm is really when you set off that cascade of inflammatory reaction. It's an autoimmune reaction uh, that people have most commonly to the spike protein or to the virus itself. Um, but that's a different thing. ADE, antibody-dependent enhancement, uh, is a is when, for reasons that we don't fully understand, um, it's a it's a very complex. When you get vaccinated, there are times when a vaccine works against someone. Meaning, what happens? You get injected with the vaccine, you develop antibodies as a response of that vaccine. But rather than acting as your army, rather than acting against the virus, when that individual comes into contact with the virus, instead of killing off the virus, those antibodies actually facilitate the virus's ability to get into your cells, to take over, and it ends up oh, resulting okay. in far worse illness. Now, is this something that happens when people have already had COVID and they get the vaccine, or does that matter? 
No, it's specifically with people who have not seen COVID before. So you have, you know, we have this wonderful immune system, this God-given immune system. People act as if that's somehow, you know, gone away. There's a reason we aren't always on our deathbeds um, from coming into contact with different pathogens. Because we have a God-given immune system that has innate, we have antibodies that are undifferentiated, meaning they recognize all kinds of foes. They recognize bacteria and viruses viruses and all kinds of things we come into contact with on a daily basis, and they fend them off without us even being aware uh, that they're doing so. So if what happens with ADE is rather than allowing that person to come in contact with the virus and fend it off on their own, we give them antibodies that are very, very specific. This is the problem. The current vaccines for COVID are only cause you to develop antibodies to a very specific spike protein. That's all you're going to recognize. It's all you're going to see. So all it takes is for that virus to mutate a little bit, and you are not going to recognize it. The analogy I might make is when you develop um, natural immunity, you recognize all parts of the virus. You oh, recognize okay. the hat and the coat and the trousers and the shoes and the briefcase. I know all parts of it. And I've got antibodies that, that recognize and will see all of that. When you take one of these vaccines for COVID, all it is is that spike protein. All you're going to do is develop antibodies to the red hat. And so all that okay. virus has to do is change the red hat. And you don't have antibodies that recognize the shoes and the trousers and the coat and the briefcase. So it will just slip right by. So what you're saying is a person like me who's COVID recovered is in much better shape than somebody who's had a vaccine that was designed to be very specific to a certain variant of this virus, correct? you developed immunity to the entire virus. So therefore, no mutation is gonna slip by for you mm. with all likelihood. It can take the hat off, it can change the shoes, it might you know, take a backpack, not the briefcase, but you're gonna have antibodies that, is gonna re- that will recognize that virus. That is different from someone who only got the vaccine. If you get the vaccine, if that one spike protein changes, significantly at all, it's going to slip through. And that is why we are seeing so many people, quote, fully vaccinated people coming down with the Delta variant in particular, and, you know, coming down with one of these variants, because the vaccines simply are not proving to be very effective. Initially, we were told, what, 94, 95, 96% effective? You know, fast forward, now they are less than 50% effective against the Delta variant. Uh, we are, And that is unlike people who, like you, like me, who are COVID recovered, we have immunity that we simply are not seeing COVID recovered people get sick again, not with the Delta variant, not with any variant. And in fact, I would submit to you that the handful of cases that we hear about where someone got, quote, reinfected, I can, with most certain, you know, with almost uh, 100% certainty, say that one of those positive PCR tests was a false positive. Mm. The only people who I think are appreciably at risk to get reinfected are people who are immunocompromised. We are seeing people who are on immune therapy, for example, because they've had a an organ replacement, you know, they've had a, a kidney transplant or a liver transplant. So they're on strong immunosuppressive drugs. 
when they got COVID the first time, they simply don't mount a particularly high immune response because they're on those autoimmune suppressant drugs. So those are the folks who seem to be at risk to actually become reinfected. The rest of us um, really don't have that risk. So what about this booster, Dr. Kelly Victory? I mean, now they're talking about the fact that the vaccine hasn't worked very well. Well, they don't admit that. But now we need a booster. Isn't a booster shot going to be more of the same very specific virus preventive or whatever that they already had? Or will it be different? Yeah, I call it chasing your tail. Right. Because again, you, the, by the time the booster comes out, the booster's based on the then predominant virus. By the time that booster comes out and gets in people's arms, we're going to be on to the next variant. So are you saying that this new booster shot is going to be created to prevent the Delta variant? So in other words, it literally wouldn't help if we're moving on down the line to the murder hornet variant or whatever's next? Well, we don't know that so far they haven't made it based on the Delta uh, variant. That's okay. what they're talking about doing. And that's why uh, there is no end to this. Once you start this booster madness, uh, d don't think for a minute that it's going to be you know, three and you're done. Uh, there'll be a fourth booster and a fifth, and, and then it'll be every six months right. or every eight months or whatever they determine. The reality is, Heidi, vaccines were never the best approach to a coronavirus. Viruses mutate, all viruses mutate. Coronaviruses are particularly adept at it. They do it very quickly. So the idea of trying to chase it and control it with a vaccine I think was folly in the first place. We would have been far smarter to focus on the early treatment cocktail, things like you know the ones I've rattled off, hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, steroids, certain antibiotics, um, and then really coaching people and getting them to take those supplements that we know enhance your immune response and prevent you from ever getting COVID in the first place. Things like making sure that people's vitamin D levels are above 50 nanograms per milliliter. Uh, we know that vitamin D deficiency is significantly related to having a worse outcome with COVID and to contracting COVID in the first place. Yet you haven't heard a single public health official for the duration, now 20 months into this pandemic, and I have yet to hear Anthony Fauci or Rochelle Walensky or any of the talking heads get up there and say, look, people, here's the reality. 80% of African-Americans are vitamin D deficient, 50% of Latinos and more than 30% of Caucasians. You need to be supplementing vitamin D. You should be taking it along with zinc. These sorts of things are so simple, yet instead it's just vaccinate, vaccinate, vaccinate. And although I am extraordinarily pro-vaccine in general, I simply do not believe that was the right approach to this. We could have worked on protecting those at-risk people. If you want to vaccinate a certain subset of the population because they are profoundly at risk, if they were to get COVID, then we can talk about that. But vaccinating healthy people under the age of 50, vaccinating children, uh, vaccinating people who've already had and recovered from COVID, this is absolutely unheard of. It's unprecedented. And I think it's very, very dangerous. We're speaking with Dr. Kelly Victory. Now, doctor, I was looking at some paperwork, uh, some information about the FDA and the emergency youth authoriz use authorization. And apparently 
it really hasn't been approved by the FDA or it has. Uh, I'm totally confused. I, am I reading this wrong? Well, it's extraordinarily complicated, and I am not a lawyer. Um, it will end up going to, to a legal challenge. Here's the fine print as I understand it, at least. The issue, the, the vaccine uh, has been now FDA approved. Pfizer doesn't have enough of the new FDA approved vaccine available yet. It hasn't been produced. They have huge stockpiles of the one they've been giving oh, okay. under the EUA. So right. although they so the FDA is making the distinction that the there are two essentially lots of vaccine. The old stuff, which is supposed to be chemically identical to the new stuff, but they are in fact distinct. So okay. the FDA is saying the other stuff is still under the EUA, but we want you to use it up while you create and manufacture <laughs> Got it. Okay. The new stuff that's FDA approved. All right. And so the question is, if you get, can the federal government, for example, mandate that the military take the vaccine if what they're getting is the old stuff that still is under just the EUA? Uh, as I said, I'm not an attorney, but this is the fine print, and yeah. this will end up be, you know, going, I'm sure, to some legal challenge at some yeah. point. We're speaking with Dr. Kelly Victory. I have a friend recently, doctor. I'm convinced she saved her father's life by sneaking in hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, and he was out of the hospital in 36 hours. The doctor wouldn't give it to him, even after she showed him reports and got in his face. She's a talk show host like me. She's tough. He wouldn't give it to him. He said, well, if I give it to him, it goes against hospital protocol and we'll have to discharge him. What's concerning to me is it seems as if there's just one hospital protocol for people. And even if that's not indicated, that's what they have to do or they'll lose their privileges. Talk a little bit about that as a physician, doctor. Well, I'll tell you, it has really changed during the duration of my career as a physician. I've been practicing medicine for more than 30 years. Um, it has changed. Now, hospitals and physician practices are large corporations or owned by large corporations. It used to be that doctors answered to no one other than their medical board and their god. Um, now you answer to many, many um, uh, masters, including the medical board, but largely to the hospital administrators, to the large corporations that own the hospitals and own physician practices. It is really... Um, sullied the practice of medicine in my mind. Because when I hear doctors say, oh, that's not our hospital protocol, or we're not allowed to prescribe that drug, I think, what in the world are you talking about? You can prescribe any FDA-approved medication that you'd like. You know, it's you answer to yourself and your patients and your God, that's it. Um, but that's not the case anymore. So many of these hospitals have established protocols for everything from, you know, what medications get on the hospital formulary, what drugs you're allowed to give, how you're allowed to treat. And unfortunately, I have run into this so many times. I mean, hundreds of times during this pandemic where I have a call, you know, 3 a.m. call from someone saying, help, my family member's getting put in the ICU. They won't give hydroxychloroquine. They won't give ivermectin. They won't give zinc or vitamin D or any of the things you've talked about. What can we do? And I will have these really tough conversations with physicians saying, 
many of them simply don't believe it because they have not taken the time to read the studies themselves. It's quite discouraging. And other times I'll talk to somebody who says, I agree with you. I know I have read the studies, but I'm not allowed, quote unquote, to give this. And so you're right. It's insanity, uh, Heidi. It's not right. It's certainly not serving our patients. And there's no question. I mean, you look at somebody like uh, Dr. Peter McCullough or Dr. Zev Zelenko, who have said that they believe 85% of the deaths in this country from COVID were unnecessary and could have been prevented if we had simply allowed doctors and hospitals allowed doctors to utilize medications like hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin for the early treatment of COVID. Once somebody's in the ICU, once somebody's on a ventilator, uh, you know, pulling them back from the jaws of death is going to be tough. This is a bad virus in a certain subset of people, but it can be prevented if it's treated early. One of the really discouraging aspects of this whole situation, Dr. Kelly Victory, is the way the media has been able to turn the narrative around. They've twisted it. So now whenever somebody dies of a failed vaccine, it's the fault of the unvaccinated. There were some women the other day whose father died in Florida in a nursing home, and they put in his obituary that he died as a result of somebody who was unvaxxed who was around him. I mean, this is crazy. It's not even medically true, and it's a little crazy. No, it, it, it really defies the science. In fact, if anything, um, there are many people who believe that it's the vaccine itself that's actually driving these variants uh, because you're putting pressure on the virus uh, to change that particular spike protein. For example, um, if we allowed people to have natural immunity, I'm not suggesting that you should go out and purposefully contract COVID. That's not what I mean. But I am saying that for the vast majority majority of people, the virus does not, in at least in its original form, did not uh, serve as a significant threat. If the virus instead gets pushed artificially to become more virulent on its own, as viruses mutate, they do two things. Uh, natural mutations cause viruses to become more contagious, more easily transmissible, and less virulent. That whole calculus changes, however, when you start putting artificial pressure on the virus by vaccines and saying, here, little vaccine, all you need to do is change this spike protein to something else. We are directing how it mutates fundamentally because of the very narrow, narrow focus of these vaccines. So all bets are off in terms of how this thing will mutate. And so we may end up facing a more virulent, a more lethal form of the virus as a result of these vaccines and the vaccinated. Dr. Kelly Victory, always so much more to discuss with you, but I don't want to abuse you. You're so kind to share your time with me and my audience. They loved you in Las Vegas, my Vegas audience. They love you in St. Louis. And of course, I'm going to put this up on my podcast. I'll also put this up on my Heidi Harris Show podcast. I'll put this up on Rumble, Heidi Harris Show. I'm not sure I'm going to bother with YouTube because last time I put a YouTube video up of the two of us chatting, they took it down. So if you're looking for more with Dr. Kelly Victory, you can find that at Rumble or go through my podcast, Heidi Harris Show podcast, and you can go back and you can find a lot of conversations I've had with Dr. Kelly Victory. Thank you so much for what you're doing. Thank you for being bold. Thank you for standing up and saying what so few are willing to say anymore. Thanks for having me. 
Always a privilege to have Dr. Kelly Victory join me. Don't forget, you can find me in St. Louis Sunday night, 7 to 9, on 97.1 FM Talk in St. Louis. Find me at HeidiHarris.com. Also find my podcast, Heidi Harris Show Podcast, anywhere you get podcasts. Until we meet again, remember, you were created for a purpose. Here's Tony Scottwell. Scottwell.